One year ago today, on the 24th of February 2022, Russia launched attacks across Ukraine, visiting horrors of war not seen in Europe for more than 70 years. Vladimir Putin defied expectations with his so-called special military option uh, operation rather in Ukraine. And a year on, uh, it continues to thumb his nose at the West. Today, Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese paid tribute to Ukraine and appealed for peace. We again say to President Putin, stop this war now. Withdraw your forces now. This is an unprovoked attack. No one is threatening Russia. No one is threatening Russia's sovereignty. President Putin can stop this and he can stop this today and he should stop this today. Yeah, according to the United Nations, at least 8,000 civilians have been killed in the conflict and 13,000 wounded. But obviously these figures are likely to be much, much higher. Untold numbers of soldiers have also lost their lives on the battlegrounds. But still, Ukrainians persist, defiantly adapting to the daily threat of bombardment. As one resident of Kyiv recently observed, hope is the last thing to die. Ukrainian MP Professor Inna Sovsun has remained in Kyiv with her family. We've spoken to her across the last year. Uh, I think we spoke uh, the first time uh, on the day the invasion first began. Inna, welcome back to RN Drive. Thank you for having me again. You tweeted today, uh, and I quote, exactly a year ago was the last time you went to sleep in a peaceful Kyiv. How do you remain hopeful? Well, I remain hopeful uh, for several reasons. Uh, first of all, and, and mainly because we have proven to ourselves and to the world within the span of the last year that we can actually win against this big, scary Russian army. Our, I'm sitting now in my apartment. I'm looking out of the window and I clearly remember 11 months ago seeing explosions in the area around Bucha and Irping, which I can see from my windows at home. But now there are no Russians there anymore. Of course, part of those towns is destroyed, but there are no Russians there anymore. And we kicked them out of here. We did the same around Kherson. We did the same uh, in Kharkiv region. So we have proven that we can actually win this. We can win against this big Russian army. A year ago, they were planning to take over the city of Kiev. Now we are in a situation where Russians have been fighting really hard, putting so much effort in taking over a really small town of Bakhmut in Donetsk region, and they cannot take it over. That all gives me hope. But then, of course, the, the unprecedented uh, unity of the global community, uh, of the Western democratic community, uh, willing to help Ukraine. I think there was a shift in terms of helping Ukraine to win this war. And if this shift continues, if, if this stays the course uh, of the Western democracies to continue support Ukraine with modern weapons, um, I don't have any doubts that we can win. More than 8 million Ukrainians have fled the country. Uh, for those like you who have stayed, what is daily life like considering uh, the last year? I mean, this time last year, the Russians were talking about a very, very quick uh, invasion and the capital has remained open and its cosmopolitan self, but surely there are struggles within that daily life. Well, of course, the truth is that um, the situation in Kyiv has been very, very different in March. The city was half empty and there were hardly um, any cosmopolitan life. But the Kyiv 
got back uh, very quickly in, in April. People started going, coming back uh, and then life got back to the city. Uh, summer felt very much, pretty much the same, apart from the fact that there were air raid alerts uh, pretty much all the time. And then, of course, that um, millions of families were very much scared about their loved ones fighting on the front line, including myself, because my partner has been on the front line from day one of this war. But uh, the situation got uh, a bit more complicated over the winter time uh, when Russians started bombing the, uh, the energy infrastructure. And we have had uh, blackouts uh, for, for three months, uh, apart for the last two weeks. That is when we've had electricity pretty much all the time here in Kiev. Um, but of course, air raid alerts remain daily reality. My son has to go to a bomb shelter every time there is an air raid alert uh, uh, me being concerned, mom, uh, concerned about his safety, but also about his future, his education. Always double check his schedule if the air raid alert is at the same time when he has his math class, because that is what I don't want him to miss. Uh, how, how does that become normal? To that. Yeah, I mean, that is an incredible <laughs> thought that your 10-year-old son has to check if it's safe to, to study. What are his thoughts about this war over this last year? How has he become accustomed to this? Well, he is annoyed, but, uh, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, I think, uh, I picked him up from school in the evening and I said, how was your day? And he told me, you know, it was pretty good. We only had one air raid alert. And that struck me, the thought that this is a good day for my son, is, is 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 painful to realize, um, but I think kids will try to adjust as much as possible. He is, after all, in a, in a more you know uh, privileged, in, in a better situation compared to other kids, because uh, all everyone is in his family is alive and well. Um, I still have a job. His dad has a job, uh, so we didn't lose anyone uh, of our loved ones. So I think um, it's much more difficult for other kids. Uh, whose parents either lost their jobs or um, have been killed or kids who are on the occupied territories, or particularly, and that is most painful of all, of course, thousands of Ukrainian kids who have been abducted and basically taken away to Russia from their families. So I think we are trying to remain positive, but also I don't want the idea that only having one air raid alert in Kyiv is the norm. I don't want my son to, to remember that from his childhood, but apparently that is something that he will. As a member of the Ukraine parliament, what was your first reaction when you got word that US President Joe Biden was to visit Ukraine earlier this week? You know, I, I had, I, I've heard rumours uh, from both the international community here in Kyiv, but also from, from our military, that uh, this might be the case. Truly, I thought that that would be around the, the well, the one-year mark of invasion on the 23rd or the 24th. So suddenly on Monday morning that happened here in Kiev, uh, I was uh, I, I was supposed to have a meeting in Kiev city center and I was driving in a taxi, uh, and 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 suddenly I realized that traffic is extremely bad in Kiev, and and everybody who I was supposed to meet at 8:30 in the morning in Kiev was like 40 50 minutes late for the meeting, which never happens, and that is when I figured out that something big is happening and most likely Joe Biden is in Kiev. So, so I first encountered the news by, by being stuck in traffic in, in the city. But I'll tell you this, not a single person among those who were late, who were stuck in traffic, was annoyed by the fact <laughs> that we yeah. got bad traffic. Everybody was actually extremely excited. 
because uh, for several reasons, you know. Uh, well, first of all, it means that year after Putin was planning to take over Kiev, Kiev remains territory of freedom. That is where U.S. president can come, U.K. prime minister, German prime minister, whoever can come representing Western democracies, but not Vladimir Putin. That is clear, Mark, that, that we have won that. Secondly, of course, it was, but we have all been extremely emotional over the course of this last week because of this anniversary and, and all the thoughts uh, around it. And, and having uh, the U.S. president here was, was actually just nice on the emotional level. But I also think and there is a third dimension to that, that this was a very strong message to the whole world community, with one particular listener, I think, being China. Because, of course, over the course of the whole year, we were very much worried if China would step in on the side of Russia and will supply them with weapons. And I think that was crucially important for Joe Biden to come to Kiev to show that this is where America stands. And if China decides to go either way, there will be consequences. I mean, of course, he didn't say that directly, but I think that was that was a message. Uh, and, and given uh, China's um, proposals for peace that they just uh, announced, I think that message was heard and received. It's 16 past four on RN Drive. If you've just joined me, you're uh, listening to Professor Inna Sovsun. She joins me from the city of Kiev one year after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And as you rightly say, Vladimir Putin has not succeeded in overthrowing uh, Kiev nor the Ukrainian government. Uh, he has gained and lost territory. It's now a sort of grinding stalemate. You're now waiting on the delivery of battle tanks and other weapons pledged by the West. How much difference do you think they'll make? Well, tanks themselves, of course, will not make the difference, uh, but but uh, uh, they are a component that will allow us to continue to win against Russians, a very important component for that matter, because uh, we have been asking for tanks since summer, actually. It became very public by by, by the um, December, but it, we were really asking for them since the summer. And the reason for that was that we are in a very intense of intense battle uh, combat uh, in the east of the country. Uh, and we need to be able to protect our troops because our guys there, they're driving in jeeps, which of course is not safe. They're driving on mines. They're there. Um, they are being killed and, you know, in the situation where they could have survived if only they had the tanks. So it, it's a pity it took so long for the for the um, uh, Western countries, for Germany specifically, to take this decision. I hope that they, after this decision will has been taken, they will actually increase the number of tanks that they are offering because, well, 14 modern tanks is really not something big. Uh, then they also offer in uh, about 170 older tanks, which is still good. Uh, but of course, we need much more. Russia has the biggest fleet of tanks in the world. So, so we should be able to, well, not match the numbers, but outmatch them by having better tanks, more modern tanks. But we also need ammunition that becomes an issue. Uh, I think the world was not prepared for this type of intense warfare. And Russia, we are still uh, outmatched by the number of, of ammunition shot by our military. And then, of course, the fighter jets, which has become a big discussion over here, uh, but in the world overall. The decision has still not been taken, but I think everybody understands that in order to liberate our territories, we need to be able to protect our troops from the sky. In order to protect our civil 
civilian infrastructure, we need to be able to protect um, our cities, to protect our air, and fighter jets are crucial, important uh, for that matter. Um, and of course, long-range missiles. Um, when we received HIMARS, uh, we started destroying Russian warehouses with uh, with weapons and ammunition, and that helped us a lot uh, in de-escalating the, the, the military situation. If we can shoot further, to destroy uh, their warehouses, uh, you know, in Crimea, for instance, uh, that would definitely uh, undermine their capacity to further attack Ukraine. We're almost out of time, Inna, but I do want to ask you just briefly, and I hesitate to ask you this in this, as you said, an emotional week of the anniversary of the start of this war, but I think I know your answer. What is the possibility of a possible peace agreement with Russia anytime soon? Um, what is the possibility of finding a single person on earth who can guarantee that Putin will hold his end of the deal, whatever that deal will be? I don't think it is possible. I don't think we can find a single person guaranteeing how Putin will act. And, and that is why it just doesn't make any sense from not even, you know, emotional standpoint. Of course, we cannot make peace with people who have been killing us for a year, who stolen a year of our lives or lives of thousands of our uh, countrymen and women who raped uh, our women, children. Uh, on an emotional level, that's pretty understood. But I'm trying to think strategically here. Who can guarantee that it, whatever deal we make, Putin will hold his end of the deal. We already had a deal with him eight years ago and see how that ended. Inasov Sun, thanks again for your time and uh, always appreciate hearing from you and uh, stay strong uh, for you and the people of Ukraine. Thank you so much. Thank you to you and the people of Australia. Thank you. Professor Inasov Sun, Ukrainian Member of Parliament. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.